I didn't want you to be confused. We're still on the same song, but we're doing different parts, right? How great is our God, name above all names. Here we go.
Hallelujah, he's great. How great thou art. How great thou art. Then sings my song, my Savior God. singing in my shower and all throughout the house been playing it on the piano and it just simply says that Jesus I want you more than anything if you know the song why don't you join me in singing I lift my hands and total adoration See 
The next part just simply says, love me in your arms. Love me in your arms. You are the shelter from the storm. When all my friends were gone, you were right there all along. I never known a love like this before. Oh, I just want to say that I love you more than anything. And the next part just simply says, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I worship and adore you. Just want to tell you, Lord, I love you more than anything. I I had a couple of people in here that really can say they love Jesus. Won't you sing? I love you, Jesus. Sing it, sing it, sing it. I worship and adore you. Just want to tell you. Lord, I, Lord, I love you more. Just want to tell you, just want to tell you, Lord, I love you more than anything. Again. Lord, I love you more than anything. Make it personal to God. Really tell him that you love him. Lord, I love you more than anything. And God, Lord, we are here to tell you that we love you. God, we're just asking that as we are here, that your words will permeate our hearts to God. And that we will hear what you have to say to us today. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Come on, you can do better than that. Praise the Lord, everybody. All right, you guys are not sleeping. Um, I was reading the article um, just this week. It, it was entitled, Dads, no, Moms Outspacing Dads Spiritually, or better yet, the, spiritually, the spirituality of moms outspacing that of dads. Now, in this article, it goes on to say that though, um, though mothers are the 
the organizers of the house. They are, are people that have the house together. They keep it together. They're the, the last puzzle in the, uh, in the house that just kind of just brings everything together. They have now assumed the role as the spiritual energizer. Now, it's very interesting because, you know, we believe in the Bible that um, fathers, the man of the house, is supposed to be the spiritual leader. But here in this um, study that was done in California in 2007, May 7th, um, we see here that the role has changed. That now moms in our, day, in our society are the spiritual energizers in the household. Now, this might not be the case in your household, praise the Lord, but this is exactly what's happening in America. And, and the article goes on to say that though um, mothers and fathers, they both say that, that their family is at the top of their priority list, but mothers put more emphasis on the spiritual importance in the household. And then after the article, it goes on to say even more, it has this title, it says, Mom versus Dad. And it says, men enjoy doing physical activity, playing basketball, going to the gym, jogging, and so on. But when it comes to exercising their spiritual muscles, that doesn't usually happen. And the survey by, by this group, it's called the Barner Group. Their site is um, barner.org. It basically gives you all the statistics for the Christian world. And basically, they're saying they gave, them, they gave both fathers and mothers um, 12 distinct tests, spiritual tests. And out of the 12, moms were more distinct in out, of 11, out, of the 11, out of 11 out of 12. Hopefully you understood me there. And basically... What he's trying to say, that moms have a more spiritual perspective now in this day and age. While less than half of fathers are willing to share their experience in Christianity, what God has done for them in their lives. Mothers are also most likely to be um, born-again Christians. Fathers are not. Like I said, I might not be talking about you, but this is what is happening in our world today. And it says, mothers, on a regular basis, not just on the day of worship, but on a regular basis during the week, they are more likely to come out to a Wednesday night prayer meeting. They're more likely to show up in the church and have different little clubs and so on. But the only time fathers are really seen in the church helping out is when there is some type of church meet where they have to come, they have to move stuff, you know, do the whole macho thing. And that's the only times you see them. Now, fathers, I'm not beating up on you today. I'm just, this is the facts, right? So basically, what this man, the guy that started Barner Group, said, he said, men generally, well, let's, let's start here. Whether they, are not, whether, or not, whether they are a parent or not, women in America have high levels of spiritual sensitivity and engagement. Men generally lag behind spirituality of women, and particularly so if they are not a father. In other words, having children intensifies the spiritual commitment of men. But even so, most fathers still do not measure up to the spiritual footprint of their parenting counterparts. Can you turn me down just a bit? And here we see 
I, w I wouldn't say the, to well, yeah, I would say it's the total opposite to what the Bible says the role of a father should be in the household. The father is supposed to be the spiritual energizer. Even though our mothers are doing a great job in this day and age, it just shows that there is a missing link. And here in the sermon today, we are going to tackle this issue. We, single men will see the type of fathers they will, the single men will see the type of fathers they need to be in this day and age. Single women will see the type of man they need in their household. And if you are already married and you're doing a great job, praise the Lord. But if you are married and you're not exactly stepping up to the plate, not saying you're doing a terrible job, but you're not doing the best that you can do, this will be ways how you can get back into doing what you should be doing. And if you will turn with me to Psalms chapter 112. Psalms chapter 112, but we're not going to stop there. We're going to skip over to Job chapter 1 verse 5. But the first one is Psalms chapter 1 verse, chapter 112 verse 1 through 10. Say amen when you have it. All right, and I'm reading from the ESV version, and it says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and the riches are in his house, and in his righteousness, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness of the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. Verse 5. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved, and he will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. Verse 9. He, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The last verse says, The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. And the next the next one that we're going to be looking at is Job chapter 1, verse 5. Job chapter 1, verse 5. Job chapter 1, verse 5, it reads, There was a man in the land of Oz who, whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There was born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of ox, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. Verse 4, his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on this day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. 
And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. With your prayers, I will be preaching under the topic, raising the bar. Raising the bar. Won't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, the God, Lord, I am grateful to be in between you and the people, the Heavenly Father. Lord, I'm just asking that you will use me as a channel, that you will use my words and deliver it to your people, the Heavenly Father. Lord, may it not be my words, but may it be clothed in your love, the Heavenly Father. Lord, there's nothing in my hands that I bring, but to the old rugged cross I cling. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this is the only time I'm going to talk about this in church, but how many of you have been watching the NBA finals, the NBA playoffs? All right, well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I've been watching the NBA playoffs since the beginning of April, the middle of April. I promise you this has a point. Stay with me. And as I've been watching it, my favorite team, of course, is the Miami Heat. I've been a Miami Heat fan since way back when. I'm not a bandwagoner, just telling you what it is. Um, so my favorite team is the Miami Heat. And I've been following the Miami Heat when they first played the Bucks. They blew them out 4-0. And then after they went on to the next team, the Bulls that were supposed to beat us but didn't, we beat them 4-1. And then after we came up to the Pacers. Now, understand, the Pacers were the team that I was always scared of because they matched up great against us and all of that. And if you guys don't understand what I'm saying, just ask somebody later what I'm talking about. It'll be fine, but it's okay. Um, so they matched up greatly against us, you know, for, and they were just a really good team to play against us. They were very physical and all of that. And that was its team I was scared of. Now, all throughout the playoffs, Wade wasn't exactly playing his best. That's a basketball player on the Miami Heat. Bosch was playing okay, but it was still okay. And um, we got to the Pacers, and they're beating him up. Wade wasn't playing good. Granted, he had a bruised knee or whatever it was. He wasn't playing well. Bosch wasn't playing um, aggressive at all. He's playing like a little girl. It was terrible. And basically... Basically, LeBron James, which is the Miami Heat, he's a great guy. He's not my favorite player, though. D-Wade's my favorite player. Now, he um, basically, he's been carrying the team. You know, he carried the team through the first series, second series, gets to the third, and he's trying to do it, but he can't exactly do it by himself. And on more than one occasion, I've heard reporters say, there's supposed to be a big three on the Miami Heat. Right? And they're supposed to be playing good basketball together. But they weren't playing together. The three weren't playing together at all. And basically, only one of them was really carrying all the weight. Now, on more than one occasion, LeBron had said um, to reporters and so on that he needs his team. He needs Wade to step up. He needs Bosch to step up. And Miraculously, I would say, thankfully, they made it past the Pacers, and now they're in the NBA Finals. They're tied up with San Antonio, 2-2, two, two, two apiece. And now, 
From the beginning of this series with the Spurs, Wade has been playing better. Bosch hasn't been playing like a little girl. He's been playing a lot more stronger. But the thing is, it's because LeBron James was playing at such a high level, he said to them, I need you guys to play at my level or higher. LeBron James took it upon himself to raise the bar and say, I need you to match me or play better. And here today, we are raising a bar for our men and we're raising the bar for our fathers. Amen? All right, great. So we see here in Psalms chapter 112 that is talking about a righteous man. A righteous man, of course, is righteous, and he is, um, he is merciful, he is gracious, he is upright, he fears God, and all of that good stuff. And then after we jump over to Job, and we see that Job kind of has these attributes that Psalms 112 was talking about. So here we see that Job was a man of God. Amen? He was a man of God. We know the story, right? Amen. Great. So Job was a man of God. But boy, did he ever have some bad kids. Job, being a man of God, and it's pretty funny how men of God always seem to have, well, I wouldn't say always, because uh, I'm an exception, but men of God seem to have bad kids. I don't know what it is about it, but everyone feels like PKs are just really terrible. I mean, some of us are, some of us are not, but it's all right. But men of God always seem to be challenged with, I wouldn't say bad kids, they're just challenging kids. Now, here in this text that we see that Job's kids, according to the SA commentary, we see that Job's kids, they were spoiled. They were very um, high-minded. They loved the luxuries. And because they had all of this wealth and all of this money, they decided that for each day of the week, they would have a big party. Now, granted, the Bible only said that seven sons and three daughters were at this party. In total, it was 10 people at the party. I don't know what type of party it was, but it was 10 people at the party. 10 people at the party. But if you were to bring those kids to this age, especially in high school and in college, they would be the ones that had the baddest parties of the year. Now, I'm not advocating that anybody should go to the parties, just saying. Well, I, what I'm saying is that these guys would be the ones that were talked about in their schools. Oh, you go into this guy's party, it's about to be crazy. And they would always be that person that had the, the, the people that had that type of hype to get, um, I don't, uh, they would be the type of people that would always be inviting people over their house to have this party. So they were party animals. And it said in the Bible that they would eat and drink. Right. So they would have these parties. But the thing about it is, though Job knew his kids were supposed party animals, instead of punishing them, instead of coercing them, instead of giving them the satisfactory glares, he prayed for them, he consecrated them, and he made sacrifices on the behalf of his children. The first point is, show them that you care. Show your children that you care. Job being a great father, he realized that if he reprimanded them in a way that was, I guess, um, too harsh, he would push them away rather than bring them close to him. 
Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be stern on your children, but what I am saying, when you get to the point when you're always on them, it doesn't make them feel that they're loved and it doesn't make them feel that you care. So you must show your children, fathers, that you care for them, especially your little girls, especially your little girls. When Fathers, when you are caring for your little girl, that will show them what type of man they need to marry. Amen. So show them that you care. Now, the interesting thing about it is, instead of reprimanding them in a way that will push them away from Job, it's that the Bible says that he consecrated them. Now, when I looked up the word consecrated, uh, I realized that it wasn't just a mere praying over them. He literally had a service just for his children so he could consecrate them. Now, if we would bring consecration to this day and age, we would call consecration devotion. Now, the thing about it is, because we live in a very busy society, we're always doing things, we're always on the go, it, it is very hard in the mornings, honestly, to have devotion with your whole family. This is true. Now, but what if you were just to take one day out of the week and have that family devotion with your children. For those, one, for, the, for those that still have their children in the household, let's just say that you were able to do that. Can you imagine how much that would mean to your children? The impact that it would make on them, showing them not only do you put a roof over their head, food in their mouth, a bed for them to sleep on, but also you care about their spiritual lives. I don't know, that's just amazing. And you don't see that too much in our households today, honestly. But if we were to do that, that would show your children that you cared. Joe being the, 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 the priest of his house, he saw that it was very, very important to show them that he cared. But not only that, not only did he consecrate them, he took it a step further. He had a service for them, and then after he left them there, and then he trudged up a hill, and he made a sacrifice to God on their behalf while his children were probably back in the kitchen ordering the maid around about what they wanted for breakfast. He took the time, and he went up the hill, and he sacrificed an animal to God. And seeing the smoke going up, symbolizing that his prayers were being answered. Job did this for his children. And I can imagine as his children are sitting around the table getting, to dig in, uh, getting ready to dig in on their food, um, they would ever so often glance outside and they'd see the smoke arising showing that Job was praying fervently for them and lifting them up before him, before God. And that's another thing. I understand that a lot of parents, um, they will pray for their children in their prayer closet, but they will never tell their children that they're praying for them. It's a difference when you pray for somebody and that's it. 
But it's a difference when you pray for somebody fervently and you let them know that they're being prayed for. It shows them that you care to take time out of your day to get on your knees in your prayer closet and pray to God for your children. And the second point is show them how to live. Show your children how to live. The Bible says that Job was an upright man. And when I looked up the word upright man in the Hebrew, it said that it, it means that he was a just man, a right man. He was, um, um, yeah, a just man, a right man. He followed the straight path. But the word that, I, I really, that really resonated with me was that he was level. Okay. And now, Job... He lived, the Bible says that he lived in us, right? And around us, to the left of them, um, can I use two of you? You're going to be Edom. This is, you're going to be a city. You're Edom right over here. And you're going to be um, Chaldee. You're Chaldee. You can stand right over here, right? So I'll be us. Job lived in us. And around us was Edom. Now, in Edom, there were Israelites. But some of the Israelites weren't faithful to God. And some of the uh, Israelites were faithful to God. So it, seem, it, would, it would seem that the Israelites were kind of confused. Can you act confused for me? <laughs> yeah, there you go. I, yeah, I, I need you to keep that. Kind of look like you're confused. All right. Looked confused. Now, on the right side was Chaldi. Now, Chaldi, if you look in chapter 1, verse 17, it shows you that Chaldi, the Chaldeans were the ones that robbed Job's camels. Now, Chaldi, yeah, obviously, you kind of think, oh, they're not that great of people. They're just unruly. So they were just bad. They're just bad people. Can you act bad? About to put a bandana. <laughs> All right. So they were just bad people. But Job, in the midst of confused people and bad people, unruly people, he was able to stand up straight, upright, in the midst of confused people and bad people. And I wish I really had a witness in here that could testify that though you were amongst confused people and bad people, that you still kept your composure in the midst of it all. You were still able to be upright on your job. You were still up, be able to be upright in your schools. You were still able to be upright though you were the only Seventh-day Adventist in your household. You were still able to be upright in any situation that you're in amongst confused people and bad people. You were able to be level at all times. And that's the type of people that we need in, in this world today. That's the type of fathers that we need in our households today. Being able to be level in the midst of mess. Thank Thank you. Thank you. That's the type of people that we need. In the midst of it all, they are still able to be upright. And the second one is that he was blameless. He never cheated anybody out of anything. He never lied on anybody. 
He never slept around with anybody's wife. He never stole from anybody. This was a blameless brother. He always took the moral high ground. If you tried to test him, if you tried to poke his buttons, he would not retaliate because he always took the high ground. There was nothing bad that you could say about Job. And if you did, you were lying. And that's the type of examples. That's the type of examples fathers need to be in the household. Your children must be able to look at you and say that you will stay level-headed amongst confused and unruly people. And also, you are blameless. There's nothing they can find that is wrong. Granted that we are not perfect people, but to show your children You are, you are a person that is able. The devil, mm. the devil's trying to get me today. Test, test, test. All right, praise the Lord. To show people, show your children that amongst it all, amongst people that are bad and unruly, you are able to stay level-headed. And when people try to push your buttons, you didn't bend to them. But you stayed blameless. You stayed above the game. You took the moral high road. That's the type of fathers that we need in households today. But it didn't stop there. It said that Job was God-fearing. And when you think of a God, when I think of God-fearing, I don't necessarily always think, it, think of it as an attribute. When I looked at it in the Bible, it, it said God-fearing. I thought it was something he did. And most times we feel that being God-fearing is by the good things that we do in our lives. But no, God-fearing is an attribute of Job. God-fearing is saying, though you slay me, yet will I follow you. That's what God-fearing is. We see in the next chapter that God gives Satan. He gives Satan the, the, gives Satan the time. Go ahead, mess up his life. He will still believe in me. Takes away his family. And it's interesting that when he took away his seven sons and his three daughters, guess what they were doing? They were still partying. But even through it all, his land was taken away. His house fell on top of his children. All of it, he was able to say, though you slay me, yet will I follow you. And I wish I had a couple of people in here that had that type of faith that could say, no matter what goes on in my life, good or bad, highs or low, the mountaintop experience or the valley experience, I can honestly say, though you slay me, yet will I follow you. That's the type of Christians that we need in this world today. That's the type of fathers also that we need in our household. Because honestly, you're not always going to have good times. You will have bad times. You will have times where your money is funny and your change is strange. You will have times where things is just not going right at all. You can't catch a break. But you must have that attitude. Showing your children, showing your family that type of faith, though you slay me, yet will I follow you. 
And we come to the last point. There's a saying that says, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. If all else fails, still continue to show your children that you are an upright man, that you are a, blase, uh, a blameless man, that you are a God-fearing child. Continue to consecrate them. Continue to pray for them. Continue to show them that type of love. Because here in the Bible, in Job chapter 1, verse 5, towards the end of it, it said, Thus Job did continually. It said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And then the next thing it says, Thus Job did continually. Can anybody tell me what continually means? You keep going. Nonstop. Right? You just keep on doing it. You keep on doing it. And if we look in the, if we look in the word, we see that Job had seven sons. And it, say out, and it said, out of each son, they would have a house party in their house every single day. So Job would literally have to wake up every morning, consecrate his children. But it wasn't just a prayer. It was an actual service. So let's just say it took about 30 minutes to an hour. He consecrated his children. Then he took one of his servants, he went up on a hill, and he made a sacrifice unto God. Let's just say that took another hour or two. Job spent about two hours just on behalf of his children. How many of us in here today that have children can say that? that you spend at least two hours on behalf of your children. But Job understood that though he was a wealthy man, and being a wealthy man in this community means that you had to make certain decisions for the community. You're the big guy on campus. When people had problems, they came to you and say, Job, what you think? Like, what should I do? Though he was that type of person, he had a lot of responsibilities. The SDA commentary says it like this. Though, man, though a man of wealth and influence, Job did not permit his responsibilities to diminish his concern for his children, whom he, whom he continually held before God. You need to continually hold your children up to God, consecrating them, sacrificing for them. Because honestly, I do believe that if we could love like the never-ending flow of the blood of Jesus, that we would be such amazing people. And that's how God is with us. No matter how far that we stray, no matter how far we stray away from God, God is always there to say, come back to me. God is always there to say, I'm here for you whenever you need me. And even though we see in the Bible right throughout the whole Old Testament that the Israelites, the people of God, the people that should know God for themselves, messed up time and time and time again. We see that in our lesson study as we've been reading things. We've seen that in Zephaniah, Zechariah, the children of Israel always mess up, always mess up. They're building their own houses instead of building the temple of God, messing up. But God is always there to say, I am here for you no matter what. 
And the greatest, greatest way that he could show us that he loved us is when he allowed his son to come down on this earth, clothe himself in humanity, and then stretch his arms out wide on a cross, allowing them to pierce his side, allowing blood and water to mingle as it came out, and then after, rise again just for us. That's how much God loves us. That's how much God was willing to sacrifice for us. He was allowing his son to come down and be the ultimate sacrifice for us. The ultimate sacrifice for us. If that's not a great father, I don't know what is. He's the greatest father that we could ever have. And somebody in here today needs to know that though you have messed up real bad, you might be like Job's, um, 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 brother, Job's sons and daughters. And you have messed up. You haven't exactly done what is right all the time. And that's okay. We are humans. We do mess up. And today you want to say that, God, I want to give you a second chance. God, I want to give you a second chance. I, I tried before, but it didn't exactly work out. But I want to say today that I'm going to stand for you. I'm going to be like Job. I'm going to be upright. I'm going to try to be blameless. I'm going to try to be God-fearing. If that is you, I'd like you to stand. Now, I have another appeal for fathers. All the fathers that have children, let's just say, from the ages of 25 and under. If that is you, I'd like you to come up to the front. 25 and under, I'd like you to come up to the front. And the fact of the matter is, for all the fathers in the audience, just the fact that you are in church, this article, you're beating the odds. You're beating the odds. Because you are showing your children that you care by coming to church and putting God first. Let's pray for the fathers. The Heavenly Father, the God, Lord, you have fathers all across this room, the Heavenly Father. But especially, you have fathers down here in the front. It is said that the brain of a child does not develop fully until they are 25. That means that these fathers here in the front have 25 years to make an impression on their children, their God. And Lord, I'm asking that they will do that. That you will allow them to be men of God like Job. Fathers that will stand no matter what. Fathers that will always take the moral high ground. Fathers that will always be God-fearing, putting you first in everything, the Heavenly Father. Showing their child right from wrong, the God. Lord, I'm just asking you to bless them in a very special way, the God. Allow your Holy Spirit to pour out into their lives so they can see, their family can see, men of God in them. Lord, we are just so grateful for you, the Heavenly Father. Just the fact that you are willing to bring us back to you 
every single time we mess up. We realize that you are the greatest father ever, the God, and we just want to praise you. We just want to lift up and praise your name because you are just so great, God. I don't know what I would do without you. I don't know what any of us would do without you, God, and we just want to say that we love you. And the same way that you love us, allow these fathers in this room to love their children, their God. Lord, we are so grateful to you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. And the second appeal, the second appeal, fathers, you can go back to your seat. The second appeal is for that person. For that person that wants to take a stand for God. That wants to take the stand for God. They say, I want, to, you're saying that you want to have a better relationship with God. Sure, it's not the cool thing to do. Sure, you might be teased at school. Sure, you might not be able to hang out with the same friends that you've always hung out with. But today, you want to say that I want to have a better relationship with God. This is not necessarily a call for baptism. While that would be great, you just want to acknowledge that I want to have a better relationship with God. If you want to have a better relationship with God, or if you want to start having a better relationship with God, I would just like you to stand. This is not for everybody. Everybody doesn't need to stand. But you would like to say, my relationship with God isn't exactly the best, but I want to make it better. Let's pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, the God, people are standing up all over this room, their God. And Lord, they are asking to have a better relationship with you. God, we mess up. We do things we shouldn't do, the Heavenly Father. We get into mess that we shouldn't have um, gotten into, the Heavenly Father. But God, we're just asking you right now to please forgive us for all our sins, their God. And Lord, as we are all standing here together, that God, we're asking and we are promising that we are going to try to have a better relationship with you, the Heavenly Father. If this is a start by just coming to church, the Heavenly Father, or just coming to prayer, uh, Wednesday night prayer meeting, the Heavenly Father, or even if it is just waking up and saying hi to you in the mornings when we don't, God, we are asking you to just please bear with us to God. We want to have a better relationship with you, the Heavenly Father. So God, we are all here in this place, and we are taking a step to you. And we know that you are going to take a step to us as well and hold us in your arms, dear God. Lord, we are grateful for the decisions of everyone in this room that stood and said that they want to have a better relationship with God. And God, I'm asking that you will allow your Holy Spirit to be poured inside of them, the Heavenly Father, and permeate their very lives, that they will be amazed themselves at the change they will have seen in their lives, dear God. Lord, we are grateful and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the third and last appeal is for everybody that has heard the message. And whether you are a single lady or a single man, married and doing a great job, or married and not doing a great job, I'd like you to stand. And this is basically saying, we're about to have a prayer for everyone in here. Just asking God for the single ladies to guide you to the right man. 
and for single men for you to be a great a great 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 father and for people that are married to be great parents together especially the fathers for those who are thinking about getting married the same thing for those of you who are married and not doing a great job the same thing we're just asking the holy spirit will be in your lives and will make you great fathers and mothers a great family together so bow your heads with me as we pray the heavenly father the god lord we are grateful for everything that we have heard today the god lord we're just asking that we will be able to receive the word that you have given to us, the Heavenly Father. Lord, we're asking that for the single ladies that they will find a man that is spiritually inclined, that is uh, able to hold devotion with the family, hold devotion with his kids, and also to be the spiritual leader in the house. God, we're also asking for the single ladies, uh, single men, the Heavenly Father, that when they are allotted the opportunity to meet their life partner, the Heavenly Father, that they will not fail. They will not drop the ball, but they will be men for God. They will be upright. They will be blameless. They will be God-fearing. They will be true men of God, and people will see that in them, the Heavenly Father. And God, for people that are thinking about getting married, the Heavenly Father, Lord, we're asking that you will continue to be with them, the Heavenly Father, as they make plans to get married, the Heavenly Father. And let them also talk about how they are going to impact the spiritual lives of their children, the Heavenly Father. God, we're also asking for the people that are married are doing a great job with their children. Well, praise the Lord for them, the Heavenly Father. God, we're asking that you will allow them to continue to do a great job with their children, that you will allow the Holy Spirit to lead them in every decision um, as it has to pertain with their children, the Heavenly Father. May they continue to show them that they are connected to you, the Heavenly Father, and in turn, their children will seek a relationship of God, the Heavenly Father. God, we're asking that, uh, that um, to be with the parents that could do better the heavenly father lord we all mess up there is no exact there's no exact manual on how to do these things the heavenly father but god we're just asking in this place that you will allow the people that feel they need to do a better job with their children to do a better job with their children the heavenly father that they will allow your spirit to dictate how they should raise up their children the god and lord once again we are grateful for the words that you have allowed us to hear the heavenly father we thank you for inviting us into your house to sit and be with you the god and lord may this message not be something that goes through one ear and comes out the other the god but may this message may it really 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 work within our lives the god Lord, we are grateful for you. We love you, dear God, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Right before we have a benediction, I want to take this opportunity to thank Daniel for challenging us today, for raising the bar, not only the men, but the women, not just the fathers, but the fathers-to-be. 
Thank you, Daniel, for a young man to challenge us the way that you have today. Praise God for that. It's been said already, but Pastor wanted me to reiterate the 10 days to Pentecost. I don't know about you, I don't want to come to church for the next 10 days, 5 o'clock in the morning or 7 in the evening. But I got to tell you that we are living in the Laodicean time. And the enemy is doubling his efforts. And I could see this church. I've been here nine years now. Many of you have been here longer. But we are under an unusual attack. When I look at the infractions we have against the 27 fundamentals, they continue to grow. And they are outpacing some of our peer churches. And so I'm going to make the commitment to come either in the morning or in the evening. First, because the, the, the Laodicean effect is impacting me. I, I, I know my, 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 my fire is not what it ought to be. And I know your fire is not what it needs to be. And perhaps it's a time for us to come and to plead for the Holy Spirit to fall afresh upon each of us. I know some of you are not going to come, no matter what. And for those of you who are not going to come, no matter what, would you just set your alarm at 5 o'clock? seven o'clock in the evening and if you're not here just be praying because God will answer prayer no matter where we are right if we're sincere but I also think it is a commitment and it's a sacrifice and somehow sometimes when we sacrifice together it strengthens us amen and so if you can come at 7 p.m. starting and Wednesday or 5 p.m. starting on 5 a.m. starting on Wednesday, I would challenge you to do that. I think Daniel has given us a charge today, a springboard, right? That we all have to lift, raise the standard. The devil, he is ra 